Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline. I write the How to Decorate blog. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Karen. I head up Ballard's branding team. We're We're your hosts. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for the tips, tricks, and tales of interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of the show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at BallardDesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. And now, on with the show. All right. So our guest today is Brian Paquette of Brian Paquette Interiors. He works primarily in San Francisco and Seattle, but your work has been featured in Architectural Digest, Dwell, Lux Magazine, House Beautiful, and more. You've got a product line with Lawson Fenning and also a brand new book that we're so excited to look through. It's called At Home, Evocative and Art Forward Interiors. Welcome. Thank you. That was uh, quite the introduction. Thanks so much for having me. We're thrilled to have you. (laughs) Actually, your background is an artist. I love that. Give us just a quick little synopsis of how you got into the world of interior design via art. So, I mean, I've always been a creative kid. My mother would have to take away scissors and tape and everything from it because I was just a little too crafty for her. I would cut up my clothes to like make up new clothes, but I would just pin things to the wall and make sculptures that went through high school. And then I went to college. I kind of did everything in art, but my focus was painting. That's what I got my BFA in. But a lot of like installation work and like site specific stuff. So there was definitely like a sense of space, but I was never thinking about interior design at this point. And then after college, I went to work for an art gallery where I'm from in Newport, Rhode Island. And so there was an interior designer who would get all of his framing done. I knew him. You know, we would do all of his hangings as well, like large mirrors of the art for his clients. And one day, like he came in and, you know, I basically knew his stuff by the back of my hand. I could frame it. I went to art school, so I had a good sense of like color and scale and that sort of stuff. And he kind of noticed that and he was like, you got to get out of this gallery. And he's like, come work for me. And I was like... Okay. I was, you know, kind of fascinated by it, but I knew nothing about it. I was 22 years old and I was being offered something that was different than what I felt I was stuck in. So I went and did it and it was trial by fire, showed up the first day of work and I was immediately put on project management of a project. I knew nothing about project management. I knew nothing about interior design, scale, anything like that. So lots of mistakes, lots of stress, but I was enamored with it. I was enamored with being able to go to this house every day and see what work had been done. That's basically how I got into it. I stayed there for like six months. That was it. I went back to the art gallery with my tail between my legs. And then about six months later, I decided to just basically pick up my life. I was in Newport, Rhode Island. Like I was born and raised there, but it's a very small town and it's even smaller town in the winter. And a bunch of my friends from college had moved to Portland, Oregon. And so I decided to just like pick up my stuff and move to Portland. And that was about 14 years ago. And I lived there for two years and now I live in Seattle. I know you worked in some showrooms early on. And Mm -hmm. then in 2009, you launched your, I believe that's 2009, you launched your firm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I followed you for so many years on Instagram. And I think before reading, looking through the book and, and looking at your portfolio all at once today, I probably would have said, you know, lots of neutrals, clean lines, very layered. But you actually, that's not 
really right. You use a lot of color. It's just color in a very different sense. In our work, especially working in the Pacific Northwest, where it is gray, and we are dealing with not only how do we make the interiors of homes cozy when it is gray for eight or nine months, people also here love the outdoors. And so how do we bring that in and balance that warmth with the coolness outside? And so to me, it's just that like, Nature wins and you bring those colors in. And the fact of the matter is, is that for the most part, you know, primary colors don't exist in nature. And so the greens and the blues and the grays and the browns and the reds and all the stuff that we use, it just, it has a hint of earth to it. Personally, that's something that I resonate with, but it's just kind of just become like what we do. I also think too, that like our work is pretty client specific. There's a point of view that comes from our firm, but I think more importantly, and how the work hopefully becomes successful is that there's a lot of thought and a lot of attention paid to what the client's needs and desires and sort of what story they want to tell in their current home or this new life or whatever it is. That's where success comes from. It doesn't come from just putting your own stamp on things. It comes from really listening and understanding, but also like being the expert. In addition to you kind of thinking about color in in a different way, you also say that you really prefer kind of weaves over patterns. Mm. Oh, yeah. This is a really interesting one. So when I moved to Portland, I worked for basically a showroom, a textile showroom. And, you know, we represented like Clarence House and Glant and Romo and Pollock, Hinson and just tons of like heavy hitters in the industry. And I just became, I was the sample librarian. I was the peon. But, you know, I became enamored with the textile world. And so... While I love print, like I love seeing new lines, I think at some point, you know, maybe like five years ago, I started thinking about permanence Mm -hmm. more. I started thinking about surface texture. I I started thinking about how people experience homes and, and forever I've always thought about sense memory. And so that's, you know, touch is one thing, but pattern to me, while I love it and appreciate it, I mean, some of my favorite designers work is full of pattern. And it's completely opposite to like what we do as a firm out here. But for me and our clients, I feel like there is this sort of need for a little bit more permanence. And I guess I use that with a grain of salt because there are many rooms that have been done a la Billy Baldwin, where it's pattern on pattern on pattern. They're extremely successful Mm -hmm. and extremely timeless. But for me, I think a sense of timelessness and a sense of experiencing the room as a whole versus your eye drawing you to one specific thing is much more important to me. Not everything in the room can be like the bang Mm -hmm. thing, you know, that sort of thing. So I think that's kind of my school of thought on textures is just building room texture on texture on texture and then playing with color after that. You know, you think of solid sofas, whatnot. Yes, being timeless. But weaves. I feel like weaves are so often overlooked in terms of, mm-hmm. I just loved that they're sort of that in between where you, you're getting a little more movement and a little more texture, but you get yeah. all the staying power of a solid. It's really intimate. I don't think any of our rooms just like hit people over the head. And I think that's kind of the point. By the way, I want to point out, I love your book. Loved, loved, Thank loved you. your book. I thought the the conversational tone of it made it so easy to understand and very, very engaging. And the captions to me were almost like little design tips. Good, so I was good. super enamored with the captions. And that's what I'm getting ready to talk about eventually after I'm <laughs> on every little bit. Um, but, but as you're talking about the sort of the intangibles of the room, one of your captions was about the scent of the room mm-hmm. and how that is 
almost as important as something else. You know, it's all part of this package, which never occurred to me before. I mean, I know what I like in my house and I know when you walk in other people's spaces, you you pick up a scent, mm-hmm. but do you intentionally pick scents for homes or how does that yeah, work? Yeah, absolutely. I don't do it right away because I don't feel like I have all the information for it, but yeah, install, I have, it's, it's kind of no difference than like putting coffee table books or, you know, a beautiful vase in the room. I feel like you know, if we're if we're installing a house or there's a phase or whatever of it, I definitely introduce a scent. It's never gone over bad. <laughs> if anything, I have created terribly expensive habits for some of my clients with some of the candles I've introduced <laughs> them to. But yeah, I think that's really important. I think, you know, there's sight and there's touch and there's smell. And as many of the senses as you can engage, I know this it seems like it's it's an unnecessary detail, but to me it's just one more it's sort of like one more tool in my belt to be able to like really bring home like, you know, sometimes you're working on these homes for like two years if it's a ground up house and then you're installing it. And some of these decisions have been made a long time ago. And, and you know, and there's not necessarily usually an HGTV reveal, but so anything that you can sort of like add to that experience. Also, if it's a new home, it can kind of take away some paint smells and that sort of stuff. But yeah, I think scent's just really, really important. Everybody has this sort of like, deep inside them, whether it's a, you know, it's a, it's an actual memory, it's a scent memory, it's a touch memory. And how do we engage those? It could be something that they're trying to sort of manifest in their life going forward as well. I have two questions around the scents. Okay. First, is it just, are you just doing (laughs) that with candles or are you achieving it with other things too, Mm -hmm. just candles? I think I have, I have one client that I felt comfortable bringing incense that Mm -hmm. I had found on a trip to New York into their house just because I know her and I knew she already like burnt incense, but candles seem a little bit more palatable to people. And then there's been a couple of times where like, oh, that candle line also comes, it has diffusers. So we can like put this in the bathroom okay. or something like that. There's always candles burning in our house. And I kind of, I don't have a favorite. It's just, it's like what sparks my mood, like a favorite brand or a favorite smell. I like all of them. They just happen to usually be fairly prohibitively expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I feel like inexpensive yeah, candles, exactly. they leave a lot to be desired. And they also leave a lot of mm. soot on your walls. <laughs> so okay, and then that. my second question around the scents. How are you getting this yeah. information out of your client? Because I imagine if you're like, what scent memories uh, yeah. do you have? They're like, this guy's crazy. No. <laughs> no, so I don't ask them what color they want mm-hmm. their room to be. These are all inferred things. And I feel like if I had a superpower... and I can barely pour a bowl of cereal. So I can't really do too much. But if I did have a superpower, it would be in listening and inferring a lot of information without sort of hitting people over the head with things. And I think that's really important because there is a lot of psychology behind sort of that dating phase or the beginning phase of really getting to the root of who these people are and what they want in this home, this space. And so it's... I guess to use an example, it's less about the color they want their room and more about the color and feel of clothing that they put on their body every day. Like if you feel comfortable enough that like, whether maybe you're a person that has like a uniform, like it's like, it's the thing you wear every day. It's black shirt and jeans, or this is the, this is like the beautiful dress that you attract to. I ask a lot of questions that have nothing to do with Mm -hmm. the home. And then I take that information because I want people to not think about their home. I want them to think about experiences they've had, whether it's historical experiences, you know, like from their past or it's like trips that they've taken and stuff like that. So I feel like psychologically it's easier 
And it's a little bit more interesting to answer those sorts of questions because if they could answer all the questions about what scent they want in their home and what color they want their room, they probably wouldn't be hiring me. I think you can kind of gather from the book that is your superpower, you know, like interpretation and listening. And, and I loved, there was a little kind of note you had in the book about not taking things that your clients love so literally Like, for example, if they have, you know, if they love blue and white porcelain, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do like a whole blue and white porcelain installation. Like you can just kind of use that as your. Yeah. Use that mm -hmm. as your guide. And because there's so many things like inspiration or sort of like their historical reference can come from so many different places, but then you have the now. So if you have, let's just say it's, you know, it's a family. And so there's a husband and a wife or whatever it is. And they each have their own personal histories. And one could come from a super traditional background and one could come from, let's say, the Pacific Northwest, which is, you know, Pacific Northwest modernism. So they have all those histories together. And then on top of that, you have the new vernacular and language of this life that they are then creating. And that is, it's like equal parts. So I want to make sure that we're honoring who they are as people and, and sort of the foundation of who they are as people. But the fact of the matter is, is like, there is this architectural style and this, you know, this language for the new house. And so how do we interpret that? So like you said, like if the wife came from a super traditional background and she loved like her grandmother's blue and white, you know, transfer wear, but they're building this, you know, more contemporary home, that's not going to make sense. But how do I interpret that in a way that she actually feels that spirit in some way in the house, just in the, done mm-hmm. in a different way? Well, you kind of talk yeah. about that. I feel like a little bit in your Magnolia project. I mean, it's sort of like that, right? So they're like in love with uh-huh. Palm Springs, but this is an yep. island that's, you know, adjacent to Seattle. And you're like, yep. I had to be careful not mm-hmm. to make it too Palm Springsy because yep. it needed to fit into its geography. Yeah. How much do we yeah. pay attention to our geography? Is that important? I think it's really important. You know, it could be a country house in the city. It could be Stephen Gambrell and all lacquer and super like you know, like one of his more sort of like contemporary projects, or it could be really anything. You could create these follies. I think place is really important. It's just one of those ingredients that like, it doesn't go away. Like when you go to the Caribbean, all the homes are painted really bright colors and it just makes sense. And you feel sort of like that yeah. makes sense there. If you do that here, it sort of sticks yeah. out like this. Well, I also thought. wonder if that yeah. cloudiness washes out color anyway. It's like, Sure, it doesn't make sense geographically, but it also probably doesn't look right just with the type of light you're getting. It's a very different light. We work in California a bunch and like picking out paint colors here for a project in California mm-hmm. makes no sense. Right. So it all has to be done on site. So that's, I mean, there's a sort of perfect example of how time and place is really important. As designers, we get asked this all like, what's your favorite white paint? You know, like, and it's one of those things, like, I don't hate the question because you're asking me a question about my work. I hate the question because it absolutely, to me, it makes no sense because I don't have Mm go-to whites. I don't have go-to paint. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. If the house is going to be white inside, you maybe choose five shades of white that work based on the natural light, the installed light, all of that stuff. And you try that out space Mm -hmm. by space. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get a successful thing. If you're living in Detroit and your favorite designer is in Los Angeles and you're taking her cues on color and whites, your house may end up looking pink because the whites that you need in California 
have a beige or a pink mm-hmm. cast to them. That's sort of what works in that light. It's so, so specific. And I like that. Paint is the hardest part of my job. It has to be the number one question we get asked all the time. And you're like, you're saying. Yeah, oh, totally. Same. And it's it's, so, it is the hardest hard thing because there's not really rules. You can have all these rules for, I know the scale of furniture I like. I know what type of textures I like. I, as a designer, I do this. You know, if there's this need in front of me, I do A, B, or C. But when it comes to paint, it really is just trial mm-hmm. and error. And you just have to be okay with that and kind of like think of it like, well, not, you know, not everything's going to be fully figured out. A few little paint things I wanted to ask you about. So you do, you say yeah. in media rooms and some small spaces that have like eaves and whatnot, you tend mm-hmm. to match the walls, all the trim, everything, one color. Mm-hmm. Even the upholstery and everything kind of keep it that one time. Yeah. I'm always thinking about bedrooms and trying to quiet them down and sort of take a couple of things away from them. So say you're looking at a bedroom and there are 28 different finishes in the room from paint to flooring to hardware, to fabric, to wood finishes, all that kind of stuff. Always my first thing, it could be a kitchen as well. I am trying to take as way as many of those finishes as possible and try to sort of lighten the palette. I would rather be really psyched on 10 finishes than have 28 finishes because we think that we need them. I would want to be so obsessed with the oak flooring that we want to sort of replicate it in the bed frame or a chair or something like that and have that sort of replicate so that when you're in the room, you're experiencing less sort of visual change. And that's where that sort of paint trick comes in. And it's not just, I guess like you could add some texture by say painting the trim a different sheen. I'm just someone that doesn't really like a lot of sheen on anything. So I like an emulsion paint of the same sheen on everything in certain spaces. And then media rooms, I just feel like media rooms are a place for like one thing, which is like to lounge and to watch a movie or like maybe play a game or something like that. But you're with your friends. And so I just think of them like theaters, Mm -hmm. even if it's not like set up like a theater. And so it's like tone on tone on tone. Like how do I, do I upholster the walls? Do I do grass cloth on the walls? And then, you know, if I'm upholstering the walls then the sofa should be in the same thing and then the rug should be in the same family and um, the ottoman should be maybe leather in the same family. And so you get like five to eight different textures, but they're all the same like color cocoon. family. Yeah, exactly. And it's like a cocoon because that's, I mean, that's, that's what I would want if I had a dedicated media room. So mm-hmm. yeah. now in your San Francisco project, though, you painted everything white, but the door's black. Why'd you do that? I love a black door. I love a statement door, whether it's vertical paneling or black doors throughout the house where there's no other, maybe there's black accents and hardware somewhere else. I would say that reference comes from decorators like Daryl Carter and Thomas O'Brien and sort of like those sort of like masculine traditionalists, maybe. And so there's just a lot of reference. Uh, That's where that comes from totally. Or it comes from, it comes from Europe this sort of knockout door. I mean, God, how many pictures on Instagram are there of like statement doors in Paris in these beautiful hues of blues and greens and blacks and all the molding and the hardware. Okay. One of the things I loved about your work and was very surprising to me, asymmetry. You love Mm -hmm. asymmetry. Virtually not a single living room in the book was symmetrical. I mean, you had asymmetrical sectionals, like the one with the sort of like a a bend in it. I mean, mismatched chairs. There were a couple where like the sofa was sort of 
asymmetrical with windows or not directly centered under a window. Okay, first off, I'm going to steal. We've stolen, we've sort of taken over Jonathan Adler's phrase. He talks about varsity moves. I feel like the asymmetry is a varsity move. It's not easy. Yeah, but okay, tell us why. The first person I worked for back in Newport, John, he was the king of symmetry. If there was a fireplace, it was the mantle, it was hurricanes on either end chargers smaller candles Mm -hmm. you know then the painting was centered with the picture light and it was and if it was an entry table it was two lamps two picture frames you know like everything was symmetry it's not that i don't like symmetry i think so much about like this process of decoration especially the way that like we do it and the process of it seems so sort of manufactured and put together because i mean fact of matter is is like most of the homes that you're looking at were put together Obviously, they weren't designed in one day, but they were installed in one or two days. And so there's this want and this need for me to feel like things are at least somewhat collected over time. And so not having the matching chairs and, you know, having that maybe that one color in a room that isn't referenced anywhere else. And it just sort of like it does this thing where it just like it turns the dial just a tiny little bit. Like if that if you took that element out, even if it were a pillow you took that one element out, the room might flatten out to a point where it's a little less interesting. And once again, this is not about photography. This is actually about being in the room. And so there's a couple of things that we usually leave to chance. The things I usually leave to chance are drinks tables, obsessed with drinks tables. You always need a place to put your drink down and I don't want you to break your concentration. I don't want you to have to like reach over three feet to get to the cocktail table. I kind of leave those to chance. Sometimes those end up being vintage, which adds some nice texture to the, to the room. That's usually full of brand new upholstery. Art is always left to chance unless the client is like sort of working with a existing collection. I don't feel that you're buy that you should buy art. Like you buy furniture. And I feel like those conversations, like I said, like we don't, we do furniture first and then we start talking about art unless the client comes with like, you know, a pedigree collection Mm -hmm. or something. Do you think that's the painter in you? You're not likely to find a perfectly symmetrical painting. Yeah. But, yeah, but they're I guess. balanced with the composition. Yeah. The thing is, is like, like I said, it's not to, it, it is kind of a varsity move because, like, if you're doing, like, to say that there's a sofa on one side of the room and then there's two chairs opposite, they need to work together, even though they need to, like, push and pull. And they need to push mm-hmm. and pull in a way that doesn't fall in the middle. I hate, the word the middle and I kind of hate everything middle it needs to like I said turn that dial or just like make someone think a little bit and so like both you know if you're doing a sofa and then there's two chairs facing it both chairs can't be leggy because they're going to cancel each other out like you know that kind of goes back to like that not everything can be the star in the show but the Mm -hmm. scale also has to be there too they either need to like match in color match in scale match in period but then could be completely opposite. I don't want to just seem like it's like plug and play. I feel like that's something that someone who's just decorating their house for themselves mm-hmm. is not likely to think about so much. This also goes back to like how I furnish like our home. Before we, my husband and I bought our house, I just had a bunch of stuff. I never had enough space for all that stuff, but I bought what I loved without place. So I kind of bought it like art. So if I found a great lamp that I loved, I bought it because I loved the lamp and I knew that it would work in some place someday. And I feel like that's a very, I'm sort of like going against what I say about buying furniture, like buying art, but I guess you 
you buy art because it arrests you. You don't buy it because you need something to fill a, a space on a wall. You buy it because you can't live without it because it drags something out of you that you can't explain. And so like, if you are just furnishing you know, on your own and you're not working with a designer and you're sort of going piece by piece, do it that way. Buy what you love. If you buy what you love, it's going to work wherever you want. It may not be in the context that you thought it was going to be, which is even more cool. Of course, like, you know, every other crazy decorator, I'm constantly moving and changing things. And like, I think that's fun. I think some people think that that's like stressful, that they don't like, they're like, oh, but like, what if it's like, I find that as fun. Like, oh, I took this lamp away from the living room because, you know, I, I wanted a lamp in my office now because I'm spending more time in my office. Well, it's not a bad thing. You're just like, just shifting things around and that's not permanent. You even um, say every so. home is in a state of constant evolution and should be embraced as such. Change is not something to fear, but something to embrace. There you go. You're quoting yourself. Thank, thank you, book. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the evolution process, I loved what you said kind of early on in the book about homes that look forward to the aging process. Mm. And I loved that concept for a couple of reasons, but for one, I feel like you know, people have this idea of like, they want their home to be perfect. And what, what is mm-hmm. the perfect home? It's not showing signs of wear. It's, right. it's brand new. And you're kind of saying the opposite. Like you're saying you're designing rooms that are meant to age, but aged well. And I mm-hmm. felt like that was such a smart, you know, thing and such a realistic goal for people. Like it, it doesn't have to be perfect. There's 9 million designers in the world. If someone comes to us and they don't like living finishes and they feel weird having actual stone countertops because they don't want them to age, we're probably not the best fit because, and I think that's really important. That's totally fine. Linking up designers and the client is really important. Like it, not only do you want to sort of relate to them aesthetically, but you want to feel like you would hang out with them regardless of this sort of business relationship because you want to feel that they have your best interest at heart. And I think I think managing the expectations that things are going to age, you're creating the next generation of vintage. Things are meant to age. Nothing's supposed to be perfect. A lot of the vendors that we use and the small shops that we use, they also embrace that same ethos of, you know, using real materials, whether it's oak or it's, or it's you know, unlacquered brass or whatever is it, and seeing the age of time. A wool rug is going to clean way better than an outdoor rug because it's actually living and it can shed that stain. I think things should age and should should grow, just like just like the collections grow. Just like there's going to be a new a new vase on that mantle, or you know, new books added to the case, or new art on the wall. So it's not just done after we install it. Yeah, I just like giving us all to the permission to live in them and not having them feel like a show house. Yeah. I think that's really important is like making sure people feel like they're comfortable in it. Like that is uber important. They're going through all this trouble and, and, you know, financial commitment and all that kind of stuff. And also just like really trusting a bunch of people, whether it's, it's only me because we're just furnishing the house or it's, it's an architect and a builder and all of this trust is there at the end of it. You want them to just like sigh, you know, like, and just be able to live and not feel like everything's so precious. You say, I like wall to wall carpet in a bedroom. Let's talk about that a second. I feel like everyone now hates wall to wall carpet. I think people just need to look like if they're someone, if they're not in the industry, but they're, they're really into like interior design, look a little closer at like your favorite designers. So I love hotels. 
I love a good hotel. There is a reason a good hotel feels like a good hotel. I'm not saying that like there's going to be like mints on your bed or anything like that, but comfort and functionality are paramount. Aesthetics are a given because you've hired a creative. So like mm-hmm. that should not be something you're worried about. What we're worried about is function and comfort because if it doesn't do those things, aesthetics can just go out the door. So yeah, yeah. if a client is into it, I am so into it. Also just do what you want. Um, like if you want wide plank oak floors and, and, and you love that so much and you want, and you don't want a rug in the room. Great. Cool. I'm there for you. Okay, Brian, we have a question. All right. Hello, ladies. First of all, I'd like to thank you all for making my home project so much fun. Last year, my husband gave me the green light to purchase a sofa for the kids' playroom. So I ran to the Ballard Outlet and bought the first thing I could find before he changed his mind. Well, I got home and realized that the blue sofa I bought was really, really blue. And I worried I had made a terrible mistake. It took over the whole room and was all you could see. With the guidance of you and your guest, I realized that more color and pattern would actually tone down the blue. So I bought a bunch of colorful trims and patterned fabric, sewed some throw pillows, curtains, nautical flags. Considering the fact that most of my house is in various shades of grayish, this was a pretty scary endeavor for me, but I did it and I love it. I listened to your podcast about all of my sewing and you kept me entertained, motivated, and inspired. So me thank too. you. I wish I had her sewing skills. I cannot yeah, sew. Right? Energy. You can not even sew on a button. And no. I wish I could. So my question is about the throw pillows I used on the back of the blue sofa. I replaced the blue back cushions that came with the sofa with these as there wasn't enough room for the original cushions, additional throw pillows, and tushies. I used down inserts because I thought they were the best option, but I found that they were far too smushy. They sink down too much, and then we end up leaning against the hardback sofa. What sort of fill should I use for these cushions to optimize comfort and support? I still want them to feel a bit luxurious, even though they are in the kids' play area. There you have it. One of those dilemmas that will take one of your brilliant guests 10 minutes to read and one minute to solve. Oh, yeah. Yes. Eventually, I'm going to replace the small coffee table with a larger gray vintage one that is currently being used in our schoolroom. It will become a games table. I will also replace the small chairs with some larger light-colored wooden captain's chairs that I think will look good. But if you have any other suggestions to make this space fun for our three boys and comfortable for me and my husband, I'd love your advice. Thank you, Tiffany. So can I describe this space really quickly? And then, Brian, you can do your thing. She has made uh, some drapery panels in there that look to be like a, a, a red base with a sort of a taupe floral pattern on them. And then, like she's saying, she's done like five fun pillows on the sofa that incorporate red and blue florals and patterns and these that look like vintage flags. And she said those flags, those nautical flags, that's pretty cool. They look real like real vintage flags. And she's hung those on the wall over the sofa. So Brian, what does she need to do? Oh, this is easy. So this is, well, there's, she has two questions. So about two years ago, I moved completely away from down because a client was allergic to it. And I went, and this is for pillows, for all of our upholstery, I moved to Trillium. So Trillium is poly-based. It feels like down, but you don't have to fluff it as much. It gives you much more support. It doesn't have the environmental impact that down does. And, you know, like you look at a sofa and like, we look at a sofa in a photograph and it looks perfect. And then you have down pillows. And basically if you sit on them, they just get crushed down. Trillium, Mm -hmm. it just goes back to its shape but it still has this really luxurious comfort to it. And I will tell you that I experimented a ton with this and this is not 
like I was really weird about this because I think part of my traditional background was like, oh, you have to use down. Down is the most luxurious thing. Well, it's 2021 and we have a lot of technology at our hands. And this is one. My favorite source for these cushions is Pillow Flex online. I buy all of our fills for our clients. And then my upholsterer uses Trillium and most upholsterers will now use it. So, you know, places like Lee or whatever, I believe all of them are either doing down or what a Trillium fill. Specific answer. It has been a game changer. And it was like one of those scenarios where it's like, okay, we have this issue. Our client is allergic to down. And here I am like, you're allergic to everything I'm going to bring in your house. Cool. <laughs> well, I need to figure this out because I want the job. <laughs> you're going to hate me. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Like, Okay. And then the next, then my, she did have some questions about how to sort of like pull this together. If I had any thoughts and of course I have thoughts. So you have this blue sofa, you need to own the blue sofa. And so you were saying that you were going to bring in some club chairs or captain's chairs on either side. You need to bring some of that blue in because what right now you've done sort of like you've balanced the blue with some red, but the blue is still the heart of this room. I would say it's 60% blue right now because that blue is so strong and then 40% red. And so I need a little bit more of that blue, whether the chairs are say a like cream base with say that cobalt blue as welting on all the cushions. That's a really sort of like thoughtful way of bringing it in or the chairs, you know, are sort of like in the family of a different shade of blue. I see one of the pillows that's at the forefront um, of the sofa is like sort of a lighter, more cornflower blue. Bringing another shade of blue is only going to sort of make this room sort of feel designed around that blue. You didn't choose to design this room around the blue. It sort of, it found you that way, but you, there's a bunch of different ways that you can make it feel like this was all intentional. And you're like, 75% of the way there. So I think just adding those two other elements of upholstery that bring those blues together are really going to pull the room together. What about paint? This would be a scenario where if you were to paint the room, I would do it in basically a half saturated version of that cornflower blue. If you wanted to say add a blue, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. reference the cobalt because it's too intense. I wouldn't even reference the cornflower as an entire room of that totally would just be too intense. But, and this is something I do a lot with paint is like we find a paint chip on the fan deck and we're in love with it. And the first thing I do is have it half strength. Because I know that if we extrapolate that sort of color into an entire room, it's going to feel too intense. So let's maybe start at half strength and sometimes maybe even quarter strength so that you get the hue and the sort of like feeling you want without being hit over the head with that color. I feel like she has maybe been looking at this too long because I think it's, I think it's really fun. Oh yeah, totally. She's totally balanced all the colors, like all those pillows, like, Honestly, if it were me, I would have found one pattern. I probably would have been boring and just used the same pattern (laughs) as the drapes and made pillows on there. And I would have been unsatisfied with it. But this is like seasoned and collected. I mean, she has, I think, like five different patterns on there, but they're all scaled right. Yeah, she's got a stripe, she's got a solid, and then she has a larger scale print, which is exactly how you want us. I love your idea of just those big two comfy like armchairs in blue or with accents of blue. Basically, it's it's one giant piece of upholstery that's just not balanced with other pieces of upholstery in there. So awesome. she's so close. So, so close. Awesome. Yay. Well, good job, Tiffany. And thank you so much for listening and for your very kind words. And hopefully 
you'll send us some after photos of the space. Yes, so we can please see how it turned do. out. All right, Brian, can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work, buy your brand new book? And all that good stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> so you can come to Seattle, come to my house. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so on Instagram, I am brian.paquette and then underscore on Instagram. Lots of fun on there. My website is brianpaquetteinteriors.com. And I think that's about it. And then you can buy the book. It came out yesterday, actually, officially. Yay! So you can buy Congratulations. it anywhere, <laughs> including ballarddesigns.com. Yay. Very Thanks, exciting. Brian. Thank you so, so much for having me. All right, that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast.ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating.